Thank you for joining us on this Desiring God Theological Podcast for Pastors. I'm David Mathis, and I'm sitting here today with Justin Taylor, and our theme is the sanctity of human life. Justin has recently published two chapters on this theme. One is in the Feshrif, the essays in honor of John Piper called For the Fame of God's Name that Justin and Sam Storms edited. That chapter is called Abortion is About God, Piper's Passionate, Prophetic, Pro-Life Preaching. And also, Justin has a chapter in Kevin DeYoung edited book called Don't Call It a Comeback. That chapter is Abortion, Why Silence and Inaction Are Not Options for Evangelicals. Justin, when you think of the subject of the sanctity of human life, are there key texts, key biblical texts to which your mind goes and you'd encourage pastors to go to? I think the place to start is with what is a human being and uh, who did God create us to be. And so when I think about it, I just go right back to the beginning of the word and verses like uh, Genesis one twenty seven that God created man in his own image. And, um, and just right from that one sentence, we see that a human beings created by God, human beings created by God in the image of God, designed to reflect and resemble God in some way. Um, and then you know, verses like Isaiah 43, 6 and 7, that where God calls sons and daughters from the ends of the earth to uh, to be who are called by his name and created, God says, for his glory. So at the very least, we could say human beings are created by God in the image of God, for the glory of God. And then you move from there to see what God says about destroying his innocent image bearers. And he says that it's it's wicked. It's one of the things that he hates. Uh, he outlaws it in the Ten Commandments. Um, and he, he just says it's a wicked thing to kill the innocent. And then, and then you move along to see that life, this human life being created in the image of God really does begin at conception. David understood that his um, sinfulness began at conception. And in Psalm 139, um, David talks about trying to escape from the presence of God, and he can't. Mm. If he can go up to heaven, he can't do it. If he goes to the depths of the earth, he can't do it. If he goes um, to the farthest ends of the earth, he can't do it. And then he says if in verse 12, if it's, if it's so dark that you can't even see anything, then that's like light to God. And I think that darkness triggers in his mind another place that's dark and mysterious and secret, uh, namely the womb of a woman. You know, ancient Israel was way before days of ultrasound, and, and people knew the result but could not see what was happening inside there. And one of his points is that God is the master craftsman, that the, that no womb only has one person in it, but a person being formed and the creator himself intricately weaving and sewing and creating and crafting such that to destroy one of those innocent image bearers being created by God in the womb is to destroy a work of God. So if we care about Jesus's love commandment, you're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself, then you have to care about abortion because abortion strikes at both of those. It, it dishonors God and it destroys uh, a creature designed to be in his image. Good. Justin, there's a lot of talk about the image of God from Genesis 1 and other places. And there are these two texts in the New Testament that connect 
the image of God language with Jesus in particular. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Jesus is the image of God. Have you reflected any on how this issue of sanctity of human life in God's image connects directly to Jesus being the image? Yeah, it, Jesus comes and fulfills and is what Adam could not do and did not do and, and was not. And so Jesus is the ultimate image of God. And we are to, we're, we're created in his image. And that, that is true irrespective of what we do. But then we also want to be conformed to the image of Christ. So we're created in the image of God and want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And those dual aspects, I think, have profound significance. So that even if, if um, you know, before a baby has done anything good or bad, they still are designed to be a reflection of God's glory. Mm-hmm. And they're, they, we get our value and our dignity first from what we are before who we are. But then the design of a life is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so imagery, image language has everything to do with Christian life, literally from the moment of conception until glorification and into eternity. That's good. Justin, you've given us a few texts for our minds to go to. Are there conceptual points? I remember you wrote an article for World Magazine not many years ago. Would there be those or other conceptual points your mind goes to on the abortion issue? And what do you mean by conceptual points? Um, substantive reminders, uh, key places you want to go in your argumentation or in yeah. rehearsing uh, how you would engage with others? I think those texts that I cited in the beginning really are the foundation point to say that do we know what a human being is? Do we know what a human being is designed to do? Do we know what God thinks about destroying human beings? And then we have to step back from that and just ask, what is an abortion? And and I think those of us who think about it and talk about it forget that a lot of people don't really realize that this scientifically is a human being from the moment of conception and that an abortion is an act, it's a procedure whereby uh, a growing human being is removed from the uterus in such a way that that life is terminated and ended. So you put all those things together and you package them together and you see that even though you won't go and find a verse per se saying abortion is wrong. It it clearly is the substructure that to kill an innocent human being is wicked. Abortion kills an innocent human being, and therefore it's wicked. And you may not be able to get a lot of traction with a lot of people, but I think you could help them see that, as Scott Klusendorf and Stephen Schwartz have pointed out, uh, people know this intuitively. They may try to deny it. Uh, they may not see the implications of it. But if you believe that infanticide is wrong or killing a toddler for fun is wrong, then you intuitively, deep down, embedded into our conscience, know that killing a, a baby in the womb is wrong. Because when you try to think about the differences, whether it's a size difference or it's a developmental difference or it's a location difference, those things... They may be interesting, but they're really not relevant to determine whether or not a human life can be killed or not. That's good. Justin, your chapter in the Don't Call a Comeback book talks about uh, silence and inaction not being options for Christians. Would you summarize for us what you're getting at there? Yeah. I think 
probably the main reason for silence among Bible-believing evangelicals is an understanding or a misunderstanding that to talk about abortion is to bring a political issue into the pulpit. And the first sermon I heard on abortion was I was at college, and I thought this is just inappropriate to be bringing politics into the pulpit. And I no longer think that because I don't think it's merely a political issue. It may be part of it, but these are innocent lives at the rate of you know, over a million every single year, thousands every single day. So that in the in the course of this podcast, there will be numerous lives that, you know, hearts that were beating at the start of this podcast that won't be beating at the end of it. And and that's happening all over the place. And I the the more I think about it and the more I realize and, and let it sink in of what abortion really is, it's it's incomprehensible to me that an evangelical pastor could be completely silent on the issue. Does that mean you have to have a Sanctity of Life Sunday? I don't think so. I linked to a piece by Randy Alcorn on my blog who was very uh, dogmatic about this. And and in retrospect, I think may have made some overstatements. I don't think you have to have a Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, People may address it in different forms, but if you have no, if you never speak out in any form against abortion and you never do anything, I, I don't see how that is not an abdication of our responsibility to glorify God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's good. So for pastors, there's a, a boldness factor, and also there's a, a tenderness side to preaching on such a sensitive issue, an issue where many people have feel guilt and shame and have been hurt in the past. Would you have advice for pastors in thinking about those in their congregations, those listening to them as they address this issue? Well, 99% of pastors aren't going to preach on abortion every Sunday or regularly. It's going to be probably an occasional thing. I mean, if we're expository preachers, we want to be preaching through the text and not importing things on the text. And therefore, the temptation, if you do preach once a year on a special Sunday, is to to hit the congregation hard, to to hopefully awaken their conscience and to provide statistics and I think the most important thing is that people leave with the taste of the gospel. So I preached on this at my church and another church recently, and I, I want to make the point just as crystal clear as possible that it would be an unusual situation if there weren't women in the room who had experienced abortion. Or, or men, there was a man who came up to me after one of the services and talked about how before he was a Christian, he, his girlfriend, he had paid for an abortion. And another friend that he had done the same. And the word that we want people to hear is not condemnation, but hope. So we all know John 3.16, but a lot of people don't go on to John 3.17, that Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Uh, We want to be people full of grace and truth. So we don't want to just be grace people that don't care about truth. We don't want to be just truth people who who hammer home the point but don't care about grace. We want to be, we're we're people full of grace and truth because we follow a Savior. We follow a Lord who himself is grace and truth. So I would just want all of the preaching to be infused with the gospel. Yes, women are going to perhaps cry during the sermon, and, and that's precisely the reason you should preach on it, not to beat people up, but to say there's hope, there's forgiveness. 
And I think Satan gets a lot of traction out of using his famous, uh, did God really say deceit for people who have come to the Lord? And and Satan still asks them, yeah, God's, God's forgiven you for getting angry with your kids. God's forgiven you for this sin and for pride and for vanity. But did God really say that you are forgiven for terminating the life of an innocent child? I mean, there's sins and then there's sin. And Satan loves to exploit that. And so I think there are a lot of there are a lot of women involved in pro-life ministry who are trying to pay God back and trying to get into the good graces by just working as hard as they could to think that maybe God will forgive them somehow if they dedicate the rest of their life to pro-life ministry. And we just need to to blast the gospel into hearts and into homes uh, precisely on this issue. If, if Planned Parenthood is right, by the age of 45, one in three women in America will have committed an abortion. Mm. I mean, that is just, if you really think about that, that will take your breath away. And so for us to studiously avoid ever mentioning a massive sin uh, that dishonors God out of fear of man, out of fear of mixing politics and religion, I think, I just ultimately don't think there's a, a good response for why somebody would do that. That's good. And preaching on the subject of abortion is a great opportunity for a pastor to get to the gospel through drawing our attention to that we're not off the hook because we haven't committed abortion. We share in that sin from Adam. We are abortion kind of sinners. We do those kind of things as sinners. And Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, uh, but he came to call sinners. Yeah, imagine if in America there were thousands of toddlers being murdered each day. I mean, just in all suburbs, in all cities, it, it would be like a 9-11 every single day of toddlers being killed in hospitals and homes. To imagine not saying anything uh, from the pulpit about that, to me, is incomprehensible. But this is this is a phenomenal opportunity to apply the gospel into the hearts of those who are hurting and confused and abused and to, to love them. Uh, we're called to love and to be creative and proactive in our love. And we, if we were just to sit by, if the average Christian were just to sit by while, while toddlers were being killed, we would think there's something wrong. There's something sinful in never saying a word to rescue those who bring a lot of weight to slaughter. Yeah. Justin, would you close us in prayer for the pastors and leaders who are listening to us talk here today? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to speak about your word and about things that you care about. I pray for pastors who are listening to this, maybe some of them who uh, have fear and uh, don't want to hurt people, don't want to confuse people. Uh, Maybe they don't want to let people think that they're just preaching on right-wing politics or something like that. I pray, God, that you would release them from fear of man and help them to fear you. And I pray, Lord, for any who might be listening who uh, have had an abortion and who are still struggling with guilt and who do not experience the freedom of the grace of the gospel. God, would you set them free for your glory and help them know that there is hope, that there is washing and 
cleansing and that Jesus's robes of righteousness can cover all of our sin. So God set us free and mobilize us to action, not merely so that laws will be changed, but that hearts will be changed for the gospel. And we do pray, God, that you would stop this great evil in our land and that your great name would be glorified through and because of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.